Welcome to The Open Word, the online teaching ministry of Pastor David Landry on today's episode. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. uses that as an opportunity when he goes to defend himself he always uses the opportunity to be able to share the gospel message paul being ready both in season and out of season to give reason for the hope that's within him he's very clear in this testimony that although he he had a great personal pedigree his salvation was absolutely nothing about him nothing about keeping the law And it was all about the grace of God. The gospel is all about God's grace. There's nothing we can do to earn salvation, and there's nothing we've already done to exclude us from receiving it. Today, Pastor David discusses how the Apostle Paul used every opportunity to communicate to everyone that salvation cannot be earned. It's completely free through the grace of God and Jesus' sacrifice. It's available to everyone who believes in Him and receives Him as Savior. We can learn from Paul's example and humbly spread the good news. And here's Pastor David in the book of Acts chapter 21 as he begins his message, The Offense of the Gospel. We are in the book of Acts still. Uh, We are finishing up chapter 21 today. We're going to get actually uh, quite a ways into chapter 22. When we looked at the passage last week, remember if you would, the Apostle Paul had taken some men into the temple there in Jerusalem while they fulfilled a vow that they had made to the Lord. The church leadership there in Jerusalem suggested to Paul, why don't you go with them? Why don't you pay for their sacrifices? And then everybody will know that you are, again, you're supporting of the law. You're not against the law. You're not against Israel. Uh, If you would just go there, then people would be able to see and understand, know that you still are a Jew at heart in essence. Paul had shared, uh, he said to the Jew, I've become as a Jew in order that I might win them to Christ. So when I look at Paul going in to fulfill this vow, I don't think it was a big deal for him uh, that he could go ahead and do that, go ahead and be there with those men, because he had more of a purpose than just a fulfillment of the law. He had a purpose of being able to have, again, that audience of being able to touch people with the hope of the gospel. Now, as I go into the temple, just a little bit of background for you this morning. The uh, temple there is actually divided up primarily in three areas. There's a lot of areas that we can look at, but primarily three that we're interested in. Uh, the first of that area is what we call the, uh, the court of the Gentiles. And in essence, that's actually outside the temple. It's up on the temple grounds, but it's all around the temple, but not in the temple itself. 
those Gentiles who were God-fearers, not those that had become Jews that, again, had proselytized over to Judaism, had followed all the customs, the circumcision, and all of those things. But these are the God-fearing Jews that they're still Gentiles. They could come. They could be a part of what's going on up in the temple area, but they weren't allowed anywhere inside the temple, and that's where the problem came for Paul. They thought that he had taken a Gentile into the temple. The second area that we look at in the temple is what's called the court of the women or the women's courtyard. They're the, the women of, uh, of, of Israel, the, those that came and, uh, again, did many activities there in the temple. This was their area that they could come. Again, beyond the court of the Gentiles, closed. now they are actually in the temple proper area, and that's where the women could be. A little bit further in, as you move deeper into the temple complex, would be the court of Israel or the court of the men. Here is where the sacrifices took place. Here's where they would, uh, again, bring their sacrifices and along with the priests, go ahead and go through uh, all that's necessary within the fulfillment of all of their customs, all of their traditions, all of their laws. One other area I want to show you down in the corner, it's called the Nazarite church chamber. They would go ahead and fulfill and complete their vows as Nazarites. So if Paul was with them and it was a Nazarite vow, that would have been the area that they were. We don't know for sure. We don't know for sure that it was a Nazarite vow. But Paul was in the actual temple area somewhere in there. And because those Jews that had come from Asia recognized Paul, they had seen him ministering with Gentiles. They had seen him actually in Jerusalem with Gentiles. They just assumed that he also had a Gentile with him while he's in the temple. And that's what began the whole ruckus that we looked at last week. And as they recognized him, in essence, a, a riot began. So if you've got your Bibles, you're in Acts chapter 21, Let's pick it up here in verse 30. In verse 30, it says, And all the city was disturbed, and the people ran together. They seized Paul, and they dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. All around the outside walls of the temple are these doors or these gates. And upon a certain signal, those that were in charge of those would close those gates for whatever reason it might be. Well, as soon as they got Paul, they drug him outside of the temple walls and they shut all the doors. Luke tells us that the city was disturbed, and the word that he uses here is the Greek word kaneo, and it actually means they were set in motion, they were stirred up, they were instigated, and that's what's going on here. They were stirred up about what they thought that Paul had done by bring, but they thought that he had brought a Gentile into the temple, which he had not. They dragged him out of the temple. To them, Paul had committed just about the worst crime or sin in all of Judaism. It is the same as blasphemy, to, bring, to come in and desecrate the temple, and that's what they believed that Paul was doing. So they dragged him out of the temple into the court of the Gentiles, and they began to beat him mercilessly, and they would have killed him other than the fact that the Roman soldiers now came in to see what's going on, to stop the riot, and in essence, to stop them from killing Paul. Look at verse 31. Now, as they, the Jews, were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison that all of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. 
And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Yeah, so all these Roman soldiers with all their weaponry, I think I'd back away from the problem too. So they stopped beating Paul for a moment. Then the commander came near and took him, took Paul, and commanded him to be bound with two chains. And he asked who he was and what he had done. Now, again, I have to stop and think, you know, Paul's not the instigator here. You've got all of these people beating on him, but they're going to come and they're going to put him in chains at this point in time. In the northwest corner of the temple compound in the temple grounds, actually right attached to the, the, uh, the whole courtyard there, is what's called the Antonio Fortress. Now, the Antonio Fortress, it was built by Herod the Great, and that's where the major portion of the detachment of the Roman soldiers that watched over all of Jerusalem would have been staying, or they rotated in and out of there. They kept guard on both Jerusalem and on the temple itself, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, always watching, always looking out for any kind of disturbance, any kind of uprising that might happen always watching them at all times. Now those are the four corners. There were these four towers, which gave them a little bit better view. One of those towers is actually reported to be about 100 feet tall, which would have given them a great view of the city and of the uh, temple grounds itself. In addition to that, all around the temple compound itself is what's called the portico. And the portico also allowed the Roman soldiers to walk the whole circumference of the temple grounds to keep a solid watch on everything that's going on there on the grounds. So from the actual Antonio Fortress, there was a stairway that led down to the courtyard and then gates that they could come through to, again, if an uprising came. Also, around that portico, soldiers would have been there, and again, coming down the stairs, they would have been on the grounds almost immediately uh, once anything happened. So Luke tells us that the news of this riot quickly got to the commander of the garrison. Now, a little bit later in the book of Acts, we're going to find that the commander of the garrison was a fellow by the name of Claudius Lysias. Now, he was a high-ranking Roman military officer that was in charge of a garrison. A garrison is a group of Roman soldiers ranging anywhere from 600 to 1,000 men. If it was a full uh, dispatch of 1,000 men, they'd have about 760 of them that are infantry and uh, 240 or so that were cavalry. So we'll read more about Claudius, actually, as we get further into the book of Acts. But for now... Paul had already received a pretty good whooping by the Jews while they brought him out into the courtyard. We're going to find out in just a little bit. He's, he's, he's been beaten so bad he's not even able to climb the stairs that brings him back into the Antonio Fortress. No doubt the speed of the arrival of these Roman soldiers kept him, again, from any further damage, kept him from being killed by the Jews for certain. Luke makes it pretty clear that Rome was not a friend of Paul either. Neither the Jews nor the Romans. So Paul's in kind of this no man's land, and as far as the Romans were considered at this point, Paul was the instigator of this riot. And so as the commander of the Roman forces uh, begins to question Paul, the crowd starts shouting out. Look at verse 34. And some among the multitude cried one thing and some another. And so when he, the uh, Roman commander, when he could not ascertain the truth because of the tumult, he commanded Paul to be taken into the barracks. And when he reached the stairs, 
Paul had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For the multitude of the people followed after, shouting away, away with him, away with him. Once again, we see, and we've seen this a couple of times in the book of Acts, this intelligence of the mob, you know, this mob mindset. We looked earlier uh, in, in Ephesus, when Paul was in Ephesus, this big mob gets together to, again, come against uh, Paul and the other missionaries. Some were crying out one thing, some crying out another thing. And Luke even tells us some of the people in the mob, they had no idea what was going on, but they were just in the mob yelling and screaming. Well, that's kind of what's going on here. Some are yelling one thing, some are yelling another. Then again, the commander couldn't ascertain what the real truth was. So Claudius commanded that they carry Paul to the barracks, again, because he had been beaten so badly he couldn't walk on his own. Verse 37, then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, may I speak to you? And the commander replied, can you speak Greek? <laughs> oh, well, the commander mistook him for someone else. He says there in verse 38, he says, are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led the 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? Aren't you that Egyptian? And so Paul says, what, do I walk like an Egyptian? Uh, no, <laughs> that's not what Paul said. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, Paul would have been able to speak multiple languages, not just Greek. Uh, during that time frame, uh, uh, Greek, Hebrew, Syriac, and uh, Aramaic, all of those languages, Paul probably spoke, probably spoke them fluently. Paul was a pretty intelligent guy. Greek was the language of the culture because of the Roman occupation. Hebrew was the religious language that he would have used for anything dealing with the Jews. Uh, another language, Syriac, that was probably his birth language because of where he was born, uh, Saul of Tarsus. Uh, and also Aramaic was another main language in that Mediterranean area, used a lot in business as well as in politics. So Paul probably easily spoke at least four languages. But this whole idea of Paul being mixed up with this Egyptian terrorist probably would have been uh, pretty easy for this Roman garrison commander to understand what's going on. According to Josephus, uh, not too long ago, a, a Jew or an Egyptian, I'm sorry, an Egyptian had led a revolt with a lot of Jewish people. An Egyptian Jew gathered all of these uh, uh, Jewish terrorists. Now, the Egyptian Jew, he was a false prophet. He told these terrorists that, again, let's go out into the wilderness. We'll get our forces together. Then we'll go up on the top of uh, the Mount of Olives, which they could see the, the, the whole of Jerusalem and the walls of Jerusalem at that point in time. And the walls of Jerusalem will fall down. And as soon as the walls of Jerusalem fall down, we'll go in and we'll destroy the Roman army. Well, that's what his plan was. But Jerusalem wasn't Jericho, and he wasn't Joshua, and the walls did not fall down. And as a matter of fact, once the Romans found out what was going on, the Romans came up, killed a few thousand of these uh, terrorists, these assassins that were there. The Egyptian leader, he ran off, and they hadn't found him yet, so Paul thought that this was the guy that was coming back. All of that we actually learned from Josephus. Now, it was during the same time frame that there were these Jewish freedom fighters, these zealots, and again, uh, they would occasionally raise havoc 
uh, within the city of Jerusalem and throughout Israel. Uh, Luke uh, calls these guys here assassins. They arrive their name from, again, the um, uh, sicarios. That's uh, from the Latin word uh, sica, meaning dagger. And this dagger was a special kind of dagger they would have. They would carry it in their robes. They would walk among the crowds. And as they walked into the crowds, if they saw any Jews that they suspected as being friendly with the Romans, either doing business with the Romans or supporting the Roman rule in any way, as they're walking through the crowd, they would simply pull that dagger out, shove it up into the guts of the individual they wanted to kill, and with the hook of that knife, be able to penetrate up underneath the, the rib cage, doing severe damage, simply slide the dagger out, put it back in their robe and keep on walking while this guy drops among the crowd, and that's what these assassins would do. So this was part of that group that these Egyptian, that this Egyptian false prophet was with, and that's why this commander was so concerned about who Paul was. Well, Paul wanted to know, I'm not one of those guys, and so look down in verse 39, if you would. But Paul said, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city. And I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. So when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language. Now it's here that we're going to see that Paul brings to them, in essence, his, his life story. And much more than that, he brings the testimony of his conversion to Christianity, his being born again experience as he came to Christ. He speaks about what Christ had done for him, the change in his life. He speaks of his loyalty to Israel. He speaks of his loyalty to Judaism. He also speaks about his own personal zealousness for the law, even his earlier hatred toward the Christians. But he also speaks about how God supernaturally changed his life through the hope of the gospel. We're going to hear this story actually now, but we're going to hear it again later in the book of Acts, as again, Paul uses that as an opportunity. When he goes to defend himself, he always uses the opportunity to be able to share the gospel message. Paul being ready both in season and out of season to give reason for the hope that's within him. He's very clear in this testimony that although he, he had a great personal pedigree, his salvation was absolutely nothing about him, nothing about keeping the law, and it was all about the grace of God. Listen and look at the words that Paul speaks to the crowd. They already want to kill him. We're now in Acts chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. Paul says to them, brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. And then he said, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law and was zealous toward God as you all are today. Do you see how Paul is connecting with the crowd? He says, I am a Jew. Listen, I, I, I was raised, though I was born in Tarsus, I was raised here in Jerusalem. I sat at the feet of Gamaliel, Gamaliel, the greatest teacher of that day, highly revered in all of Judaism. Paul is making this connection with those he's about to share the gospel with. 
Paul, in essence, is saying, man, I didn't come in here to desecrate the temple. No, I honor the temple. I honor Judaism. I was educated by Gamaliel. I know the law. Then he goes on to tell them about how even he had been a persecutor of the Christians. Verse 4, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women as also the high priest bears me witness, and all the council of the elders. When he says persecuted this way to the death, he's speaking about Christianity. That was the the, the phrase, that was what they called them. They were part of the way. And he says, I persecuted them to the death. And oh, by the way, and I believe that the high priest was very possibly there at that point in time. The elders of Israel were probably there at that time, even as he's sharing this. And he says, by the way, the high priest bears me witness. Also this council of elders. These are the ones I received letters to the brethren. And I went to Damascus to bring in chains, even those who were there, bring them back to Jerusalem to be punished. So Paul speaking to the crowd, the connection with the high priest, with the elders, his, again, his persecution of these Christians. Again, uh, no doubt uh, Paul is speaking to this crowd. He's got their attention. But the problem is there is a hatred for Paul and for Christianity that is, is there in that area. It's as thick as a fog, and Paul is trying to break through with the hope of the gospel. And it's absolutely amazing, I, I, I believe, particularly for those of you, if you've come to Christ later on in life, say, not, not a child, but particularly as an adult later on in life, that many times those that know you from your past, they, they can't even imagine what's going on in your life. They, they, they look at you now, they knew you before, and they say, I don't know, I think maybe he's just going through a phase. Uh, maybe she's going through some kind of a weird thing. I can't believe that that's really her. Well, Paul has shared with him all of what he was, and yet he's about to share what he is now. And I've wondered, too, as he's sharing this, because you got the high priest, probably Ananias still at that point in time, these elders that Paul had been very friendly with, the Pharisees that Paul was a part of, all many of them right there during this time, and Paul is sharing his testimony. They knew him as Saul of Tarsus, back when he was a zealot for the law, back when he was a Christ hater. What's going on in their minds now as they heard that no longer is he a Christ hater? He's now been redeemed. He's now one of the member of the way. Well, because of the offense for you and I, when we share the hope of the gospel that's in us, the gospel actually becomes an offense to many people. Sometimes it falls on deaf ears and simply leads to ambivalence. Oh, that, that, that's fine with you. I just don't want to hear it. And there's no problem. They, they just walk away. But sometimes when we share the truth of Christ with individuals, it brings a conviction in their life. And when that conviction happens, they usually go one of two ways. The majority is when that conviction happens, there is a hatred for that message because it's shown a light on who they are and what they are and what they need to do, and they don't want to do that. But praise God, there is also that time that conviction comes, and it leads then to a repentance and to salvation. The same thing happens in our lives 
again, as we try to live our lives for the glory of God, whether it be as a verbal witness or just in, in living our lives apart from the things of this world. That's all we have time for on today's edition of The Open Word. Pastor David has been teaching through the book of Acts, introducing you to the early church and how they were radically changed by an encounter with the Holy Spirit. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to let you know how you can listen to more editions of The Open Word. Here's Pastor David. I'm so glad you tuned in today to The Open Word. As you know, this broadcast is meant to share with you the hope, grace, and love that can only be found through Jesus Christ. Would you like to listen to more of them? Well, just visit theopenword.com. You'll be directed to our Facebook page where we're adding all of my previous messages for you to listen to for free. Be sure to like and follow that page and feel free to share it with your friends. That website again is theopenword.com. Thanks, Pastor David. We'd like to take a moment before we close and ask you to consider partnering with us here at The Open Word. Would you pray for us and for our listeners? We know the enemy attempts to hinder the truth of the gospel from being spread. He will stop at no cost to prevent even one heart from turning to Jesus. Thanks for partnering with us in this, and thanks for listening to The Open Word. Do you live in Casa Grande? If so, we'd love to meet you. Come join us this weekend at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande on Saturday at 6.30 p.m. or Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. Directions can be found at theopenword.com. That's all for today. Thanks again for tuning in and for praying for the open word.